Kyle Matthew and I are here for another episode of Clean Tech Talk. This week, we have a handful of stories to cover. The Faraday Future announcement, Clean Tech Car of the Year winner, EV sales in December and 2015 as a whole, and the Chevy Bolt. To kick it off, I think we should give Kyle the floor since he attended the FFF, which I'll get to back to later, why, why there are three Fs. So. Thanks. Yeah, uh, about Faraday Future. Uh, as everyone who's listening to our podcast probably knows already, Faraday Future had a massive launch of their first concept at uh, 2016 CES in early January. And this is really something that they had pumped up and put a lot of hype behind. And so people were really anticipating something that was going to knock their socks off, change the world, change transportation as we knew it. And um, electric vehicles just really transforming uh, personal transportation holistically. Uh, One of the key tenets of Faraday Future, or what they've told us, is that they're working on more of a ride-sharing approach. And that it's it's a new model. I mean, that not everyone who, who will use a Faraday Future car will even be an owner and that maybe even most of the people that use those cars or experience the Faraday Future experience will probably use it just for ride sharing, kind of like passengers in a, an Uber or Lyft vehicle today just without the driver. FF, as they want to be called, shared that autonomous driving is a key piece of the products that they are building. And with such drastic changes in their foundational DNA, uh, expectations were just really high. And on top of that, they had pumped it up. I mean, it was largely their fault. They had really been hyping up the reveal of their first concept. And so people were just expecting a lot. And so as we showed up to the event, people were confused about what was revealed. I mean, it had, it had actually been leaked a few hours ahead of the event. But as, as with any leak, I mean, we weren't really sure that that was the actual car. And so when the curtain or the cover was finally pulled back on the concept at the event, and we saw the Batmobile-esque creation that they had put together, most of us were really confused that the leak was actually the car. Uh, it was so far from anything that could be called practical. Showing such a strange car really set an odd tone for the whole event. I mean, because we're there talking amongst each other, just trying to figure out what the angle was. I mean, this was not a not a practical car. It wasn't a, a, anything close to an SUV or a sedan or even a multi-person vehicle. It's a one-seat vehicle with like kind of a dome over the top, and it's very futuristic. I mean, there's a lot of neat um, ideas that go into the car, but it's it's just not what we were expecting. And so as far as the the overall design approach goes, it really does sound like Faraday Future has a unique approach to EV design uh, where they're kind of building the car on top of a like a skateboard, very similar to what Tesla has done by putting the Model S and X on the same rolling chassis. And they're doing the same thing with the Model 3 and the Model Y, just a little bit smaller. And Faraday is doing, doing something very similar, uh, which is a neat approach just with more flexibility. So they're, they're calling it their variable platform architecture, which allows their designers to, to really scale that chassis up or down. So uh, if they want a, a longer car, they can add more, um, a, another battery string, uh, what they're calling like a, a line of batteries horizontally across the vehicle. And that allows them to make a longer car. Um, similarly, they can add and extend the, the bumpers and the on the front and the rear, they can increase or decrease the uh, the height of the suspension in the back and the front for a you know different ride feel. The cars are really complex, and so it feels to me like it's just an oversimplification of the complexity of cars. And, and they're really it's an it's a novel idea. Um, they're doing a lot of virtualization, so possibly there's some 
uh, piece of the augmented reality that captures that complexity. But with them having not even released a single drivable car, let alone a single practical car, let alone um, actually run through a production cycle or you know, produced a handful of, of mules, which are like the cars that it's fully functional, but it might not be fully polished. Uh, we haven't seen any of that. And so without that, I mean, I'm, I'm still a little skeptical, um, especially after this event. It didn't, it didn't reinforce or uh, make me more confident in the company, but rather it kind of diminished my confidence in the company. So I don't know if it had the effect they were going for, but it definitely had a wow effect. That is for certain. Uh, I'm really curious to hear your perspective on the launch, Matthew. I mean, I know you were watching it closely, so you want to tell us a little bit about you, what you thought about the the uh, launch? Sure. Like yourselves, I was a little bit confused and disappointed. I was thinking, you know, what's what's the Batmobile doing here? It's it, it looks very nice, but it's more of a supercar thing than an aspirational, you know, Model S kind of a vehicle. There was an interesting article a couple of days ago. I think it was by Alex Ray. We'll we'll get that for the show notes, where he had said that he had seen the uh, the physical concepts of what looked like a crossover and an SUV, probably built on this variable platform architecture, you know, six strings of battery versus for the SUV versus five for the uh, CUV, and that did very much excite him. But he, I guess his thought was that maybe something had gone wrong or they, they weren't able to do something, so they went with their backup plan, which was a supercar, which kind of threw everyone for a loop. Uh, the variable platform architecture is interesting. I'm, I'm hopeful they can do uh, a lot of uh, elegant engineering with that, a bunch of savings. But it isn't that unique in that a lot of, well, most car makers do that to some extent. Uh, you know, uh, the Japanese car makers basically built their crossovers off of um, automobile, like a combustion sedan type platforms, whereas American automakers made their SUVs off of a truck platform. So although I have, uh, I have good hopes that the next thing we see from Faraday is a lot more approachable. I'm sure they have some really good insights on connected cars, on autonomous driving that would stem from their software-centric uh, uh, CEO. I hope that they can deliver you know, great results in their second reveal because the first one was kind of, a, kind of meh. Uh, Zachary, what was your take? Yeah, well, the FFF for me is Faraday's future fail because, uh, you know, like like you both said already, this was a, a lot less than we were expecting. Um, they're apparently putting a lot of money into a, a factory in Nevada, a big factory in Nevada. Uh, but why? I mean, there's nothing that warrants that right now. I mean, they've revealed a concept that's like the niche of the niche. Even if it's a, you know, a variable platform, you're not going to build three different vehicles you know, to kick kick things off, it's a lot of work. You, you don't just have the underlying platform. You have a lot of work that goes on top of that to create the vehicles, uh, as we've seen Tesla Tesla work with, you know, struggle with even. Uh, so I think I think it's just a huge disappointment that they brought a one seater. And of course, they've hyped the autonomous driving, and then it's a one seater. Like, I think people are just like, what? What in the world are you? What are you doing? What are you talking about? You know. So it's cool, yeah. It's a fun car for like a fifteen-year-old to draw, and that's apparently this. If you watch the video of how it came about, it's sort of embarrassing. I think it's just like, oh, someone sketched a cool hybrid car, and they said, oh yeah, let's run with that. I'm like, no, that's not really the best idea, you know. So I was hope, yeah. I think everybody was hoping for something that would at least maybe compete with the Model S, maybe be even more affordable. But this just looks like vaporware. I I don't think it's a scam to. 
I don't think it's a scam. I think the the guy behind it is putting apparently a billion dollars into it. I think he really is passionate about EVs. He sees them as the future. I think he got together people who he thought were you know top people in the industry, uh, pulled from Tesla and elsewhere, and thought they would you know they would make it happen. And I think they just it's just not the right team. I think they just got the people together who don't understand the urgency of getting uh, you know a, a really market competitive product. I'm disappointed. I I had pretty big hopes for them. I mean, I, I was cautious, but now I'm just I'm I'm really not hopeful. And Matthew, as you said, uh, you know, the underlying platform is not really a new concept. I mean, GM's doing that with the Bolt platform, which we'll talk about. Tesla's done that. A lot of automakers have done that. Uh, it's a good idea, but I don't I don't personally see anything rev- revolutionary about it. There's a lot of work that goes on top of that platform that's that's hard and costs a lot of money. So I don't know. I'm. I'll keep an eye on what what they're doing, but I lost a lot of interest in them from this uh, this quite uh, quite sad unveiling, in my opinion. If anyone and anyone have any more thoughts on FFF? Yeah, just to jump in there real quick on um, just as an example of Volkswagen's so MQB platform, which is their uh, modular uh, transverse toolkit or modular transverse matrix. These are the models that this one. Volkswagen platform deals with you can see that they will sell millions of vehicles per year based around this platform it's the Audi A3 the Audi TT a couple Skoda vehicles I'm not as familiar with Volkswagen Golf Mark 7 Volkswagen Golf Sports Van the Passat the Tiguan and the Touran so so the 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 variable platform architecture from uh, from Faraday Future is smart it's the right thing to do it's just not not really breakthrough in the sense that uh, well I mean, perhaps they have something fantastic up their sleeve, but on the surface, it doesn't seem like a big, you know, a big uh, advantage. Yeah, I agree. I think that's the way the auto industry has operated for many years, if not decades. And many car companies, if not most, have single platforms they build different cars off of. So it's not a breakthrough concept, but with EVs, as you said, I mean, it, it makes great sense and it's a good start. That alone gives me some hope in the face of the disappointing reveal, and it was disappointing. Um, in In the variable platform architecture video, there was a a frame or two that showed the car, I think from the silhouette or the previous teasers, but really just in the outline again. It looked like a small CUV or compact utility vehicle that could be something like a Model S or a short CUV. It's like these guys just can't help but to tease just a bit more. But this this recent one makes me think that they, they might have something practical up their sleeve. I mean, I'll hold out hope that we do see a practical car from them that has a better shot of actually being built in their factory and making it to customers, but I'm just not a fan of these marketing games. They really lost a bit of credibility with the first concept, but I'm still, you know, I'll hold out hope. We'll see. For me, I, I really I really wonder why they would even pick up a side project of this magnitude. I mean it's not it's not a small task to build a separate car, just another car, even for a company that moves fast like these guys are claiming or that have all the skills like they're claiming. It just doesn't feel like the best use of resources when you haven't proven anything to the market, to your potential customers, to potential investors. I mean, why would you take something on that that was just a doodle from a developer if you don't have a primary product that can actually make you money, which is the point of being in business? Even if you're doing it philanthropically, you still want to have speed to market. You want to get your customers excited about something that you might actually make. But I mean, I, I don't know. I'm not an eccentric car designer, so maybe they know something I don't. But it just it seems it seems strange to me. Um, with that, I mean, the, the design of the concept is fun. It's an amazing sporty vehicle. Uh, but what worries me about 
that car and, and even beyond that, the company is that so many of the key components of their vision is so, are so stretching. Uh, we don't have any autonomous cars on the road today. We only have a handful of high performance, high end EVs on the road today that are successful in production. Uh, we only have a few companies that are even buying or building affordable, stable batteries at EV scale. Uh, we, have, we only have one company that's actually building EVs in the U.S. at scale, like Faraday is trying to do, and, and nobody in the world has the type of user interface or logic that, that Faraday Future is kind of projecting or that they're, they say they're working on. So it's a tall order across the board for sure, and it's it's not something I'm willing to take lightly, uh, no matter how skilled of a team they have. I mean, these are these are massive goals, they're massive challenges, and the teaser game just it really puts me off to that whole thing. Like it doesn't feel like a serious approach to the business or a serious approach to what they're trying to accomplish. So uh, I really want to see some hard data, like the financials, the forecasted production volumes, specific battery chemistries, and things like that, before I really get too excited about these guys. Um, They've just hyped it up a little bit too much for me and, and kind of played it out. Yeah, no, no more comment from me. <laughs> FFF. So, uh, so, so it sounds it sounds a little bit as if this this wouldn't be our car of the year award winner. So Zach, perhaps uh, you'd want to cover off of that. Yeah, I don't. It's a good thing it wasn't a finalist and didn't accidentally win. Um, yeah, our car of the year was. Uh, I mean, first of all, I I think it was interesting. Kyle mentioned before how he was concerned two Teslas on on the on the finalist list uh, about among four cars might split the Tesla vote. In the end, the Tesla Model X came in number one and the Tesla Model S 7070D came in number two. So even with two on the list splitting the vote, you know, Tesla crushed it. Uh, it, It was a hard year. I mean, uh, uh, the Leaf had a a good upgrade. The Volt had a good upgrade, but they're not like earth shattering. The Model S had a good upgrade, but again, even, I would say even less earth shattering. Um, And then the Model X barely came out but it's a ridiculous vehicle, so I'm glad it won. I I think it's just uh, you know Elon even uh, regretted publicly a bit how much extra they put into it because he thinks it might have been too complicated, too much extra, too difficult, etc. We still have to see if if it actually actually ramps up into you know fifty thousand a year uh, without problems. But I think they made the right decision because as we've seen in industry after industry. A disruptive technology can't just be like equal to the incumbent. You know, it can't just be slightly better. It has to be like, wow, what's that? It's got to get people's attention. It's got to get people to pay attention who don't read Clean Technica, who don't read EV blogs, who don't even know what an electric car is. And I think the Tesla Model X is going to nail that. I saw someone explain it well where, you know, first you, you glimpse the Falcon doors in the parking lot and you think, what's that? You know? That is really important. People are downplaying the importance of that, thinking it's a design mistake. It's of course they're better and more convenient for the for the user as long as they don't fail. But they are going to get people's attention who would not even notice a Model S. And there are a lot of people out there who wouldn't even notice a Model S. Uh, once you get their attention, you get them to sit in the car. They sit in the front of the car, and they have like a helicopter view. They're like, "Wow, what the heck? This is awesome. Why aren't all call- why don't our- all cars have this great view?" Then you get them in the back seat. They have, they still have a better view. They have better seats. They have easy ingress, egress. They have, you know, a sunroof thing. Um, I think it's just going to be that car that wows. Like one, two, three, bam! It's gonna, it's gonna pe- pull people to the brand and pull people to EVs who wouldn't 
normally be there. Even more of the early majority than the Tesla Model S has done. I think it's going to blow up. I think the scale is going to be uh, greater than the Model S uh, once production ramps up. And then there's the Chinese market. Well, I'll let, I'll let one of you, I imagine one of you have thought about this as well. I, this is the car for the Chinese market. This is the car for rich people getting ferried around. And this is the car for this is the car for people wanting to keep air pollution out of their vehicle, for wanting to be luxurious and have space in the back. Uh, and it's gonna, you know, be able to drive on days when gas cars, you know, half of gas cars can't drive, or in places where gas cars can't drive. So, I think it's a, I think it's a, a home run. Um, I'm still a little nervous about production ramping up, but uh, I'm I'm glad people voted for the for the X. I'll let you guys take it from there. <laughs> oh, and the results. So the results is 34% Model X, 27% Model S, 23% Chevy Volt even with a big last-minute push on the Chevy Volt forum from, from one of our readers, and 16% Nissan Leaf. I think you summed it up uh, pretty well there, Zachary. Uh, uh, it is a good thing that Tesla Model S is one. I agree with you. It is a great uh, attention-getter or a profile awareness raiser for the electric vehicle community. Uh, I'm glad, in a sense, that they would have waited this long to get it to get them just right. Uh, because, you know, uh, I think Apple has done this a number of times when they've delayed the release of something and people were like, oh, yeah, this, you know, this Mac, uh, this, uh, this latest, uh, this latest event will feature the release of X. They wait a little longer. It's perfect. And then everything turns out uh, wonderful for all those involved. Um, so, yeah, I, uh, I agree. It's a, it is a good choice. Uh, Kyle, did you want to add anything uh, to that? Oh, and, and definitely for the Chinese market as well, as you noted. But first, Matthew, you, n you never told us who you were going to vote for. Did you? <laughs> I did. Oh, I did. I, I did, actually. I did put my vote in for the uh, Model S, uh, the, uh, the 70D. Uh, so I was one of the uh, folks who was, well, I guess, semi-happily uh, outvoted by the Model X. So um, I think uh, myself and Kyle were both in that boat, uh, if, I'm, if I remember correctly, from like episode 13 or so. Yeah, no, definitely. I think for me, as long as uh, a Tesla wins, I'm happy. And I'm not just saying that because I love Tesla and everything Tesla uh, blindly, uh, which I think may be a perception of me and perhaps of clean technic as a whole. But personally, I, I think that Tesla is really the only company in electric cars that's pushing aggressively and really succeeding at changing the world today. And they're releasing products that people can buy that meet their needs that, that changed their worlds today. And that's, that's huge. And I think with even the Model X being so far out there, like with its Falcon Wing doors and the crazy HEPA filtration uh, for the air coming into the cabin. I mean, if you compare those now to Faraday Future, um, Faraday is so far out in left field that the Model X almost looks normal now. So I guess that's an upshot of the uh, the whole concept reveal. Uh, but yeah, I mean, after thinking about it for a longer period of time, I'm really happy that the Model X won. I think it's a fantastic choice. Uh, the SUV market is one that historically gets terrible fuel inefficiency, and replacing that type of a car with a high-performance electric car is extremely noteworthy, and uh, the fact that people in that market segment now have an option for a high-end, uh, extremely efficient SUV um, is fantastic, and that's going to have a much longer tail of impact over the life of that car and, and a ripple effect outward from there. Uh, I think it's really exciting. So, I mean, uh, on top of um, just the exciting part of the Model X and the fact that it won. Uh, I think it's a great attention getter. So, I mean, that is something that it's weird to think about. Uh, but the Falcon Wing doors attract people to the car. And people coming over to a Tesla 
we'll learn about EVs. They're going to learn about the Model X. And that's not something to be overlooked in, in an EV market where that really struggles with educating people on the benefits of EVs and the coolness of EVs. And, and even to tell them that there are cars out there that don't look like golf carts, that don't drive like golf carts, that are extremely practical and can fit your needs today. And with the certified pre-owned market bringing those prices down, uh, Model S, and in the next few years I would expect Model X, uh, will start hitting hitting this certified pre-owned market and they'll be much more affordable. So I mean, we're really transitioning and I think this is a key car to educate people about um, electric cars. So that's, that's a, a huge benefit of the car as well. Um, on top of that, I mean, the car is fantastic. The, I mentioned the air filters, but um, those that have air filters are, are amazing. I mean, you drive down the road today, you don't even think about it, but you're breathing in the exhaust of all of the gas cars around you. And I'm not just saying that as like a tree hugger, but we're constantly seeing studies coming out, study after one after another, uh, that's just showing how bad pollution is. I mean, specifically diesel pollution um, with all the heavy particulate matter, 2.5 and PM10, um, that stuff's terrible. That stuff causes cancer. That's a real deal. That's really happening. We can see that in the, the data over the last few decades as we've driven down diesel um, emissions, specifically in California. But uh, that's just, it's a real thing. So having an air filter uh, built into the car, um, it's almost, I mean, the thing is massive. It was like, what, three or four feet wide by about a foot deep. And then there's two filters. I mean, it's it's an extremely complicated technical system. Uh, that really cleans the air and makes it a healthier vehicle to live in. They forecasted or estimated um, in the actual production reveal that it, it would extend your life by six months, this this air filter in the car. So that that's, that's insane to think about, and it's great, and it's game-changing. I mean, no other car in the world does that. You can't get that benefit of that life extension um, from any car other than the Model X today. So that's that's really neat and worth noting. Uh, so for me, I mean, all of these things kind of rolled together. I'm pumped about it. I, I think it's an exciting um, choice for our first Clean Technica car of the year. And I just want to say thank you to everybody that took the time to vote and to, to get the word out about the, the award. We're really excited about it. Um, this is the first year we've had the award. And it's been a lot of fun talking through the options with you guys in the comments and getting different perspectives on the cars and the award. And uh, we're really excited to bestow this first award. So thanks. Yeah, and quite fittingly, we are going to be late delivering the award to Tesla. We were supposed to deliver it in January. It's not going to happen. So that that fits. You know, Tesla's often often late. The X was super late, so we could be super late. It would fit fit well. Um, I am, I will say I'm pissed that the Model X, the the base Model S does X does not have the air filter. You have to pay for the premium package, which includes LED lighting in various places, uh, the automatic uh, automatically opening driver door. Uh, so uh, I'm, I'm disappointed that's not the default, but on the other hand, okay, uh, they've got to make money. <clears throat> for the, uh, the premium then, oh, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but I am very tempted by this X. I, I'm quite seriously thinking about it. But uh, that's another story for another day. So getting <laughs> getting into the sales for the year. Um, so 2015 as a whole was not a great year for plug-in cars in the United States. Uh, overall, they're down 5.6%. Um, a lot of that was the, all the plug-in hybrids, almost all the plug-in hybrids were down quite a lot, uh, presumably because people were waiting for the 2016, 2017 Chevy Volt. Um, but there were some bright, and then the Leaf was also down quite a lot because, uh, people were waiting for a new Leaf. 
Um, but there there were some bright spots. Of course, Tesla had some bright spots. Tesla had a crazy awesome year. Um, we've got a, a story coming that I'm writing up right now that we'll, we'll feature next week on the show. Uh, so we'll skip Tesla for now. But but the other big player that had a big year was BMW, which, uh, you know, I, I go back and forth between thinking BMW or Nissan or maybe GM are the, the most serious of the mainstream automakers by electric cars. Uh, and, and I'm happy to see that BMW had a really good year. Uh, BMW i3 sales were up 81%, hit, hit uh, 11,000 sales in the U.S. last year. Uh, BMW i8 sales, even though this is a $140,000 car, uh, it outsold most of the electric cars on the market, and sales were up 308%, hit uh, 2.2,000. Uh, and then the BMW X5, xDrive, 40e SUV just hit the market and in December already had 607 sales. So it's a good start for, for BMW. I think that's really, uh, it's really exciting to see BMW is really trying to sell these cars and is really selling them. And considering BMW's overall market share, this is a pretty significant part of its business, I think. So so I'm happy about that, at least. I think one, one interesting... Uh way that we can separate some of the signals from the noise, uh, especially with the electric vehicle detractors, would be to compare the market share or the, the percentage of electric vehicles sold as part of a, uh, a car company's overall vehicle fleet. Uh, one, you know, one uh, kind of old, out-of-date attack against hybrids is that, you know, 20 years later, they're only a few percent market share worldwide, which, okay, it sounds, sounds damning. However, the uh, the reality is that Toyota is the only car maker who's really really doubled down on hybrids, and so as of a, a few years ago, it was like one in six uh, vehicles that they sold, maybe even maybe even higher by now, uh, was a hybrid of some sort. And so you know, saying that okay, after you know twenty years or so, you know, uh, hybrids are two percent of the market, you know, sounds not very good. But then if you flip that and say, hey, you know, after fifteen to twenty years one in six uh, Toyota vehicles sold was a hybrid based off of their hybrid technology. That's suddenly a lot different. You know, that demonstrates that you can you can affect this kind of a change with a technology that is not nearly as transformative as uh, electric propulsion. So I think it would be very interesting, uh, Zach, uh, to your point, uh, if we could, uh, uh, maybe maybe I'll be able to get this in time for the show notes, so we're not sure. But uh, it would be very interesting to, to see how the automakers rank on electric vehicles as a proportion of their total sales in the U.S. in this case, just because that'll give us a better hint as to who's really serious versus who's kind of doing the whole compliance car thing, you know, running on fumes, as it were. Um, Kyle, what's your take? Uh, I guess you would have seen a lot of, uh, a lot of press and um, you'd have heard a lot of talk, I guess, at CES about electric vehicles. Do you have a sense of who's you know, really, really serious versus who's kind of just trying to say the right things to, to not be singled out for criticism? Yeah, I think a big part of the surprise for me or maybe a big piece of excitement for me was BMW's presence at CES. Uh, BMW had a massive presence there at the show and took over a large portion of the North Plaza, which is really the center court at CES. I mean, it's the middle of the main display area at the Las Vegas Convention Center. And Maybe more exciting than that, it, it seemed like they took a really holistic approach and the way they set up their booth and the talking points in the booth were really focused a lot on the BMW iBrand, uh, which is the home of the i3 and the i8. Um, they'd, they'd actually set up a very fancy uh, tent there with uh, 
you know, appetizers and hors d'oeuvres going around. They had an espresso bar and um, not that that matters so much, but it really shows that they're committing to the experience. and They're really trying to make it a true BMW experience, which is high end and uh, exclusive. Um, and in there, they were showing off the i8 Spider, which is kind of a topless, doorless version of their high-end sporty i8 plug-in hybrid. Um, it's clearly a concept that BMW is kind of leaning forward into. Uh, it's got a lot of neat tech in it, and it showed just how much they believe in the the i brand, putting that car on uh, on the front and center display there. What was cool about the overall event was that they actually had maybe 12 or 15 i3s. I mean, I sent you that picture, Zach. Um... Uh, but they they were actually demoing those vehicles and letting people drive them, as well as like a handful of i8s, which is crazy for such a high end car. Um, so it's really exciting that they're, they're they're making a big effort to get people into EVs. Um, they know that that's one of the key experiences that gets people excited about electric cars. Um, a lot of people, or most people even, just don't know that electric cars are uh, practical, um, affordable, maybe maybe to some people at least. Um, and, and sporty even. They're fun to drive. And so I think getting people in the car, and this has been proven in study after study, uh, but getting the people in the cars and driving them builds up a network of people that know about electric cars, that are talking about them, that are excited about them, and that can even defend them in generic conversations about uh, EVs. So that's really exciting, and that's really neat that BMW is committing to that. So it was a fantastic event. I love seeing BMW there kind of coming out in full force um, getting people out there to drive their cars. And I think that's really ultimately going to drive significant differentiation <laughs> um, between BMW and their competition when it comes to electric vehicles. So creating that market early, committing to that market early, and getting out there, I think it's really going to be great for the, the brand and great for uh, the EV industry overall. So, Yeah, I, I think that was the first image you sent me from CES, was this, this image of the parking lot with a bunch of i3s and a bunch of i8s. I mean, the i8, again, it's a $140,000 car. It's a niche car, but BMW is pushing it. They're selling it, you know? Uh, yeah, I think there were six i8s in that picture and a bunch of i3s. I didn't even count. Um, and, I mean, yeah, that just reiterates uh, BMW is really looking to, to sell these. BMW is offering this car in markets where there's almost no electric cars on offer in South Africa. There's only the Nissan Leaf and BMW's cars in South Africa. Uh, even Tesla hasn't hasn't gotten there. Uh, so they're in a lot of markets. They're pushing it. They're, they're putting it at the forefront of their displays in, in events like this. They're really trying to get people in the seats. Um, I test drove a bunch of uh, cars when I was in Florida a couple months ago, and the i8 guys seemed to get it. I mean, they were, and they, and they said they couldn't keep an i8 in the, in the lot. Like, as soon as they got an i8, it was gone. Uh, and i3s were selling well. Um, interestingly, them and Porsche, Porsche and, and BMW seem the most into it. And I think they have more of a performance car background. And the Porsche guy had a racing background. He said most of the guys at Porsche don't get it, but he's got a racing background and he knows how the te- technology came about and he was, really, he was really excited about it. He was more excited than any of the other uh, dealership salespeople. Um, and both of these, last time I looked, we saw, if you look at like their passenger cars or you know how they fit in those brand segments, uh, the electric models are accounting for like 10%, approximately 10% of their of their sales. That's significant. I mean, that's one out of their 10, 10 cars in that segment are going electric. That's, you know, they're paying attention and they're, and they're moving them. Uh, so that's exciting. I, I, uh, 
I am really interested now to, to, to look at that for the year as a whole now that you bring it up, Matthew. So I, thank you for that push. Um, but it's just, it's good to see that, that some automakers seem serious about, about being leaders in this, in this field. And speaking of being leaders in this field, I guess, uh, uh, you were at the uh, big reveal of GM's latest effort to distinguish itself. Uh, Kyle, uh, do you want to tell us about the, uh, the Bolt EV? Big yeah, show? definitely. Uh, that was really a very exciting event for me at CES. It really was the big event at CES. I mean, Faraday Future had the reveal of the overhyped concept, but it was so far out there that it, it'll never make it close to production. Uh, VW, on the other hand, revealed yet another concept of the, the electric microbus with more media packed into it. Uh, but the key differentiator between those events and the Chevy announcement is that Chevy is showing us the actual production version of the Chevy Bolt with a B, and that's that's going to be challenging for us. <laughs> I I heard they were going to change the name. I was so disappointed. It was still yeah. the Bolt. I was I was so hope I was hoping that they'd call it the Amp because you know get amped up with the Chevy Amp, <laughs> and then putting Volt and Amp together would just be an you know an awesome uh, sort of pun. On on the for the nerdy set, but yeah, geez, Bolt was yeah, that wasn't Sorry. great. I we'll have to we'll have to emphasize. I'm gonna that. let Kyle get back to it, but I mean, just consider how much of the population is a Spanish of the U.S. population is Spanish speaking, and they're gonna pronounce them the same. Bolt, Bolt. It's just it, it does matter. Uh, people already have the Volt in their head with the V, and they associate that with the brand. So when we talk to them about the the Bolt, the new car, um, they're gonna hear Volt, what they know. And I think Chevy's going to be kicking themselves about that name for a long time into the future, but who am I? And, and we've actually, we've slipped twice with headlines. I think it was me both times where the article was about the Bolt and I, I somehow typed Volt and didn't even notice it just out of habit. I mean, and they're even right next to each other on the keyboard. Jeez. Yeah, yeah. It was a really neat event to see, though. Uh, the whole industry was really rallying around this one car coming to market. It was just unfortunate to me that the spy shots leaked out. I mean, as fun as they are to see, it would have been nice to have kind of all of that coming out in one clean package at the event. Um, it's not a stunning car. It kind of looks like a Volt blended with another, like, uh, Chevy compact utility vehicle, the, kind of the current design trends and themes. But um, it's not so far out in left field like the i3 that might appeal to some, but this one will appeal to the masses. It's really in line with what the average consumer is expecting in a car. It's what they're used to. I mean, it's a solid car coming to market from a brand people trust, and that, that's not to be underestimated and undervalued. More importantly, I mean, the Bolt is on track to be up for sale this year. I mean, granted, it is only January, but the fact that GM has moved on such a crazy pace to get this car to market on such short timing, that's exciting. Without shame, I'm going to blame Tesla and the Model 3 for that, or maybe give them credit for, for that pace that GM um, has moved at. They really lit a fire under them. And that's that's exciting. I mean, I love that GM has finally gotten back on track with EVs. They had an early lead um, in EVs, um, at least within the last 50 years or so, with the EV1 program before they just crushed that, uh, along with all of the EV1s. And it's exciting to see them getting back to that game with such a solid entry. I think this is really going to put them in a uh, commanding leading position, potentially, depending on what their production volumes are going to look like. And I'm I'm thrilled. I absolutely can't wait to see this thing coming to market. With that, I mean, I'll let you dig into this more, Zach. I'll give it to Matthew. Matthew, you can have seconds here. <laughs> sure. Okay. Um, I, I just want a, a couple of things to note. Um, 
I believe uh, Chelsea Sexton first pointed this out. She's at, uh, e- at EVChels on Twitter, uh, if uh, uh, any listeners want to follow her, and you should. Uh, she pointed out that December 5th, I believe, will be the 20th anniversary of the release of the EV1. And I really, really hope that uh, Chevy's marketing team is totally on that because that'd be a great comeback story. It'd be like, um, I don't know, like Rocky Balboa, you know, when he actually comes back after a while or something, kind of a kind of a, a return to, uh, to, to, to the potential that we once had kind of a thing. Uh, so I'm, I'm really hopeful that they can, uh, they can launch it on that day, by that day, because it'd be a great uh, storyline for that. And uh, I think, Zachary, you'd mentioned that uh, you were concerned that the bolt, the bolt with a B would not have a fast charging capability. And I'm wondering if there's a bit of a split between Europe and North America there, because a lot of European cities were built before cars, so they have architecture. You only need one car. Whereas most North American cities were built or redesigned after the car, so you have car architecture instead, and usually every adult needs a vehicle of their own. I would think that the the uh, the lack of fast charging compatibility means that the the Bolt would be tough to choose as a first car, or as your only car for a family, because you might go on a road trip. But that for many people. Um, who have a second vehicle in their household, it might make a great commuter vehicle because as long as you don't take it on a road trip, you're not going to be stuck for an hour or more, uh, at least with super fast charging, sorry, with, with super supercharging type uh, recharge rates. Um, did you want to elaborate on, on that, perhaps? I really love that Rocky analogy. That's great. That pumped me up a bit. I, I hope they do something like that, too. I mean, I think they, they really... They really put a lot into this. They really put a lot into fast-tracking this. They've been prioritizing this, it seems. They've been highlighting it at the center of, of big events. I think they really worked their butt off to get LG Chem to bring the price down for them, to make it affordable, to beat the Model 3 to market. I, I definitely think it was the, the fire was lit by Tesla. You know, they, Bob Lutz already admitted that, that Tesla ignited the fire for the Volt. So I, I think it's great. GM is like, they really want to be a leader in EVs, I think. And, and um, I congratulate them on that. But yeah, uh, my perspective on the, the super fast charging, it's not from a European angle. I'm American and, and I, I'm really thinking about Americans, especially because GM has, has just said it's selling this in the US so far, has, hasn't said it's going to sell it in, in Europe. Um, but uh, basically... I think it's like now the perfect regional car. It's great, you know, regional trip it can handle without without any real concern. City driving is no problem, no no range anxiety of any type I would think. Uh but people are really irrational with cars. Uh especially Americans, I would say. And everyone has this idea in their head that they need their car to be able to go like from the East coast to the West coast of the United States. If, if called for, you know, if they had to save the world for some reason or something. Uh, and even if they already have another car in the family, I mean, otherwise there are a lot of electric cars that are great, that are great second cars for homes right now because they're great for city driving. Uh, so, okay. The bolt is a better regional car. It's a better city car, but it still doesn't, it's it's not going to be good enough for long distance driving unless you're really trying to make it good enough because basically the fast charging which is about half the rate as super fast charging like tesla supercharging uh gets them 80% charge in an hour 
So if they're going to drive 700 miles from, you know, south from Florida to like North Carolina for a road trip they take a couple times a year, for example, or from Miami to DC a, a thousand miles, they're going to have to stop like six or seven times or even more, depending on, on the chargers along their route, uh, to charge for an hour at a time. Like that, people are not going to do that unless they're really gung ho about being electric, you know. So it's not; it's just not going to be a mass market car for for a lot of people unless they're considering that you know it can be their second car or they can rent a car for for those long trips. Uh, but I, I don't think many people are going to make that rational decision. So I think uh, GM's target of thirty thousand cars a year is their conservative estimate. I think I think they're being cautious, but I, I also wouldn't be surprised if they don't really go above that. Yeah, I think that's one of the main concerns with the Volt. If uh, GM underestimates the demand for it, or they underbuilt production and that impacts sales, I mean it's got a lot of potential, but there are a few key places it could fail. I, I also wonder if perhaps the Bolt with a B, uh, seeing as it will come at the very end of the year and will have much more range than the Leaf, Focus, Electric, Soul EV, Smart, you know, maybe even, um, it might even get buyers who are going to wait on the i3 and the Mercedes B-Class. Um, I wonder if that could have a damper on 2016 electric vehicle sales in the States at least, because if I'm cross-shopping, there's no reason for me now to go out and buy any of these shorter range electric vehicles when if I wait, if, if I can afford to wait, if I have the, the the leeway to wait, maybe I can get another vehicle with a lot more range at very roughly the same price point at the end of the year or early next year. At which point, all the, a lot of these other car makers are also going to have their second generation or beefed up range vehicles out. So I wonder if, in a kind of a counterintuitive way, the Bolt, because it is so much head and shoulders above everything else that isn't a isn't a Tesla, basically that uh, it might uh, cause people to wait and then we get uh, you know so sort of muted electric vehicle sales in America this year then have this massive jump in uh, 2017 as hopefully we have a, a whole bunch of uh, new vehicles you know better range and so on and so forth released yeah i agree i'm i'm, I'm concerned about that i th i think it's quite likely i mean if if nissan had upped the range on the leaf to like 130 miles this year it might have been a different story. 107 miles is going to get some more buyers, but uh, I think a lot of people are going to be waiting for the Bolt and the, and even more the Model 3. I think, you know, just two years out, theoretically, um, I think a lot of people are are waiting on the Model 3. Uh, we have indication of that in, in a report that we're about to publish, and that just seems like common sense at this point. I have heard that I, that GM is aiming to bring it bring the Bolt early, like by October, maybe, you know, if all goes well. So that that might help, but one hope for for sales in in 2016 is is Tesla again. I think Tesla could you know I could easily get hit 70,000 sales in, in 2016, and it's not just the new vehicles, but the CPO vehicles have been getting lower and lower in price. I've seen I've seen a bunch of vehicles under 50,000 in the 40s, even under 45,000. So that's getting in the price territory of a model of a model three, even uh, you know, decked out model three. So I th I think uh, you know I think CPO sales are going to keep going pretty strong this year, and that could help things. Kyle, do you have any thoughts? Yeah, on that? I agree. CPO prices have dropped quite a bit in the last few weeks, and are now in range for many consumers. Um, I personally just took the plunge myself, and I'm actually doing this podcast from the front seat of my new Model S. I'm still trying to soak in as much of that experience as I can. 
And through that purchase process, I mean, I've really been able to experience that awesome Tesla customer service that everybody talks about firsthand. And it really is as great as everyone says it is. It's just been an amazing experience, which just stands in stark contrast to the typical auto purchasing experience. So that's it for us for this week. Thanks again for tuning in and be sure to subscribe to us on SoundCloud or iTunes so that you can stay connected to all of our um, up-to-date and current podcasts. Come back next week for your electric fix.